0: Good morning, everyone. Ah, oh, good morning, everyone. Oh, there we go. It's so good to be with you here this morning, um, to be able to dive into God's Word and just to be able to share that together. Um, yeah, I hope God has something to say to us. And uh, he, His Word is alive. Um, some of the stories that we hear over and over again uh, have a meaning for us each and every single day. And uh, our God speaks, He lives And he's going to talk to us, I'm sure, this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up uh, to a familiar story um, in Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27. I'll be uh, reading from the English Standard Version. So if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. I'm sure you'll be able to follow. It goes as follows. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are just blown away by the majesty of our God. As we were just singing praises to you, you are just a holy God who is awesome and great. And as we see in this passage that we've just read, we see that when you speak, something happens. A great uh, storm can turn into great peace. But Lord, when Joey speaks, none of that happens. So I pray, Lord, that you would move powerfully this morning, that you would speak, not me. That, Lord, we would hear from you coming away, being encouraged, challenged, equipped more, but most of all, Lord, knowing that we've met with you, met with Jesus, knowing Jesus a little better than we did when we walked in this morning. So I pray that you'd be gracious and merciful to us. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples and Jesus have just spent a busy, busy day uh, doing tons of different types of ministry. And uh, they climb into boats and they're going to cross over to the Sea of Galilee, across the Sea of Galilee, sorry. And uh, Jesus is so exhausted from working so hard that he jumps into the back of the boat, um, grabs a cushion, as the the story Mark says, and has a sleep. He's exhausted. He, He just goes straight to bed. And while they were there, um, and the disciples were getting, making sure they got across to the other side, a great storm arose. Now, this is pretty common um, in the day of Jesus and common in the Sea of Galilee. Storms would arise quite quickly and out of nowhere because the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And so when hot air rises, all the cold air or the other air from up in the valley would suddenly rush down the valley mm-hmm. to fill up that space. So you would go from... Um, having a calm, peaceful day on the on the water, to suddenly big waves, big storm would appear. But we see that this is a particularly big storm um, than normal storms uh, that would happen on the Sea of Galilee. And we see this for one of two reasons. One, the Bible says it was a great storm. But two, we see that... Um, The disciples on the boat, they were fishermen, a lot of them were, and would have been skilled at being able to go through storms like this before, this wouldn't have been their first rodeo, they would have been able to handle this um, in the past, but yet they find themselves in such a situation that their own skills, their own experience fails them in this, that they get to a point where they feel that they are going to die. And so they, out of complete desperation, run to the teacher that's at the back of the boat, and they go and wake him up and say, Jesus, save us, we perish!" perishing. And Jesus, waking up from a nap, looks at them and says, why are you so afraid? Are you of little faith? And as the account in Mark says, Jesus says, peace, be still. And we see the wind and the waves and the sea rush to obey Jesus. And it goes from this great um, storm to a great peace. And the the disciples step back, not having seen this before, not seeing this kind of Jesus, and they go, what sort of man is this that even this wind and the sea obey him? What sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And this is the question that Matthew wants us to ask. This is the question that Matthew wants us to be able to answer ourselves, to ask this question and come to the, the, a conclusion on who is this Jesus? And we see that even Jesus finds this very important. We see it in his, um, in his statement that he makes to the disciples. He goes, why are you so afraid, O you, of little faith? Faith in what? Faith in who Jesus is. And when Jesus says here, little faith, he's not necessarily talking about a quantity of faith as much as he's talking about a quality of faith. We see in Matthew 17, verse 20, that Jesus, when referring to faith as the size of a mustard seed. So it's not necessarily the size that matters as much as a certain kind of faith, a a good quality of faith. That's what Jesus is worried about here. And on that, Jesus um, proposes something to us that Poor quality faith is easily driven out by fear. He says, Why are you so afraid, O oh little, uh, why are you so afraid, O oh you of little faith? That fear easily drives out poor quality faith. I mean, I guess the opposite can be true as well that a strong faith, a good quality faith, is one that is able to withstand and drive out fear rather than it being driven out. But we see in the story that the disciples do have a form of faith, right? They, they go and they go to Jesus. They run to him and they cry out for help to him, but we see that their faith isn't of good quality in their in the, uh, exclamation at the end, going, what sort of man is this? Because they haven't quite understood who this Jesus is. But we can give the disciples a bit of leeway here, can't we? I mean, if we think of our own prayers, that we pray, we cry out to God for help. And our theology is one that we believe that God is a a a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. We believe that He is a God that can use all situations for His glory and for our own good. And yet when we pray and God does come to the party and He does answer our prayers, we're like, whoa, man. I didn't know God could do that. Wow. Alyssa and I found ourselves in a similar situation to this uh, quite recently. Um, we, some of you might know we were uh, up in Durban uh, during Easter period. I'd go visit Alyssa's family. And when we were there, we went to go visit friends and my cousins um, that were there. And we took my mother-in-law's car and we headed down and we were hijacked um, at gunpoint, and we had everything taken. We had, uh, my mother-in-law's car was gone, we had lost our possessions, we lost absolutely um, everything. Uh, fortunately, none of us were hurt, we're not even, I got like a little scratch on my back, but that's it, God is very good. Um, but on the way back, we had to now replace everything that we had lost. Um, uh, we had to get new phones, new watches, new, all of that kind of stuff, and, but particularly things that are really important, new drivers, um, new ID, um, now that we've got ID cards, what do we do? We keep them in our wallet, right? But when we had ID books, we, we, didn't, we didn't carry those on us all the time. So I had my ID in my wallet, and that was taken. So I lost my ID. So we had to go sit in home affairs. We had to go do all of that kind of stuff all over again. Um, and that alone, just the temps for IDs and drivers cost us about 1,500 Rand each. Not each, together, sorry. And so we thought, well, man, we got insurance, but we're not sure that the insurance covers this kind of stuff. Um, we were in Durban, we were driving my mother's in her car, so I, I know our stuff was taken, but we're not too sure, so we got a hold of our insurance, and they're like, well, you know, send through some stuff, and we'll see what we can do, you know, and so not very hopeful at all, and we listen, I pray, and I were praying, we're like, Lord, if we could just get a couple hundred bucks, man, that would be great. If we could pay for our drivers, and our IDs, and all that kind of stuff, like 1,500 rand, we have hit the jackpot, Lord, please, come on. And about three weeks later, we got an SMS from our insurance saying that they'd covered it all. Absolutely all of it. And Alyssa and I stood back going, what sorts of man is this that even insurance companies listen to him? That's how great our God is. Wow, awesome. I even said to listen, man, we need to be praying bigger prayers. And our God came to the party. But the deficiency in our faith is not so much that we have a poor expectation of who God is. The deficiency in our faith is more that we don't quite understand who this God is. And as a result of not not understanding who this God is, we have poor expectations of what he can do. Does that make sense? And we see here that the disciples haven't quite got who this God is quite yet. Man, they've walked with him, they've done some things with him, but they just haven't understood who this Jesus is properly yet. Because if they had, and if they were able to lay aside the traditions of the day and put those aside, if they were able to do that, then surely they would have come to the conclusion amongst and in that storm, on that boat, with this Jesus, they would have known that this, uh, this Redeemer that has been sent from heaven to come and live among us so that he might die a shameful death for the sins of his people and who would three days later rise again for his glory and for our benefit would not have been snuffed out and drowned by a storm on Sea of Galilee, no matter how great it was. Surely if they understood who this Jesus was, that he was the agent of creation who came to earth with a plan and purpose, then surely they would have known that that creation could never stop his plan. But they hadn't quite got that yet. They haven't understood who this Jesus was. And so what's important for us to understand is that faith is most stable when it is centered on Jesus. Let me say that again. Faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not so much what this Jesus will do, his action, not so much what promise that he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who Jesus is. I'll say that all again, one, once, one last time. Faith is most stable when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not so much what action this Jesus will take. Not so much what promise he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who this Jesus is. Absolutely important for us. Who is this Jesus? But may I suggest to you that these disciples would have never known this aspect of who God is, of who this Jesus is if they weren't in that boat that day in that storm if they weren't in that storm, they would have never known this aspect of Jesus. And now that they were there, they were able to drive out the fear the next time they were caught in a storm. I promise you, the next time they were in a storm and it was big, they didn't, even, they didn't even shout commands to each other to what to do, they said, Jesus, you got this, right? Because they now knew who he was. Alyssa and I, um, we've been married for uh, two years, uh, now just a, bit, a little bit longer. Um, if you see her, you can give her a pat on the back. Um, and uh, when we first got married, um, I was an intern, so I was earning very little. And um, Alyssa worked in private practice as an OT, which sounds great, but being in private practice means you are earn commission based. Um, and so it means when clients cancel on you at the last minute, when their school holidays like now, OT's particularly take a because no one wants to go and see them. Um, and so finances were, pretty much every single month for us, a big issue. And a bachelor, Joey, one who, before he got married, um, knew that God was his provider, but never really had to put it into practice. Because when I ran out of money, what did I do? I picked up the phone and said, Hey, Ma, how are you doing? Haven't spoken to you in a while. Um, Oh, by the way, I just happen to need. And um, But now that I was married, I couldn't do that. And I remember the first couple of months, man, we we, we, all, our first 18 months before my salary increased and she got a stable job at a school, getting a set income every month, um, we struggled, we we struggled financially. I I remember the first first or second month we were in, we were sitting at our one little table that we had on an office chair and a wooden chair, that's all we owned, um, and we were sitting down and we had to pray, Lord, we have no money and we have no food. I need you to come through for us. And as a new husband, this was hard. Pleading to God, come, please help. And it was the next day, I can't remember if I came home for sermon prep or I was, it was a weekend, I can't really remember the details, but I remember coming home and as I was unlocking the door, our landlord came to us and said, Joe, I've just defrosted a whole deep freezer. We were gonna eat all this meat, but we've got way too much. Do you want some steak? I took it calmly, went inside, put it down, and then cried like a girl. Because God came to the party. And I tell you now that there are many, many instances of, of times where people have come and blessed us because we had prayed and God answered. Where it was, we couldn't afford to get our car service, so people paid for that. Knowing that we were struggling, and went, Joe, don't worry, we'll take it. Of people going and saying, Joe, open up your boots. And I'm going, why? They're just like, Joe, open it up. And dropping food into the back of, of, my, um, of my car. A whole box of groceries of someone, I don't know who, and maybe it's you here this morning, and I want to say thank you, dropped off 2,000 rand in an envelope in a, on my desk, and I do not know who it was. I just got there, and it said, Joseph Prince, and I opened it up, and I thought, man, is someone sending me the shop to go buy something for the church? <laughs> Meanwhile, it was a blessing for me. And there are so many different instances where God has just come through, but I would have never known, it would have never gone from a theological student's head to believe in my heart if I had never gone through those 18 months. And now I know without a shadow, I believe that God is my provider. Sometimes it was vegetables that were about to go off, and other times it wasn't. But He came through for us each and every single month. And I don't wanna belittle the situation that you find yourself in this morning. I don't. But may I boldly suggest that the storm you're going through, no matter how unique, no matter how no one else has gone through this besides you, you don't know anyone else, may I suggest that you have this unique storm gives you this unique opportunity to be able to know Jesus in a new way. Same with the lesson I got hijacked. Didn't know anyone else I had done before, but it was this unique storm gave us this unique opportunity to know God in a new way. God is our protector. And so, what a waste it would be if you had to go through the storms that you're going through, because you're going through them, right? You're going to go through them. Life will bring storms along the way, but it's your choice whether or not to use it so that you might get to know this God more, that you might get to know this Jesus more, so that your, firm, your faith might be a little bit more firmer, a little bit more stable. But to come out on the other side and not to know this Jesus more would be a waste a waste, and so there's this need for us to grow in our faith of Jesus, to grow in knowing who he is, and in order to do that, we need to seek him more in times of trial, spend time in his word, get to know him, but we are fortunate enough today that in our passage, we see a new two aspects of who this Jesus is, and so we're gonna look at those this morning, um, and we're gonna unpack these just two aspects, we see that the first, the two aspects are, one, that Jesus is fully man. And let me finish. Two, that Jesus is fully God. It's theology, it's confusing, it's a paradox. I can't explain it fully, but this is what we, 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 we see. Jesus is man. He is just like you and me. And we see this particularly in this passage. I mean, Jesus comes along, he has done a hard day's worth of work. He, he is not immune to a hard day's worth of work like you and me. He lost all his energy. He was tired. He, he really, really struggled as a result. He is so exhausted that it is more likely that as he's in that boat and the waves are swamping the boat, that Jesus is getting wet, but he's so tired he doesn't wake up. That the disciples are shouting instructions to each other. The fishermen are telling the tax collectors, no man, do this, do that with the boat. Swing it around here, let's get going, let's do this. And yet Jesus in the chaos is still asleep because he's so exhausted. And if Jesus is anything like me, when the disciples woke him up and shook him and said, Jesus, save us. Waking out of a nap, he felt like a bus hit him. And in that state, in that human state, we see this paradox that Jesus is able to stand up, exhausted and tired, and go, peace, be still. And yet because he is fully God, everything listens and obeys. And so the first thing we're going to look at and see why it's important for us, is that Jesus is man. Jesus is a man, just like you and me, and that's because he understands the hardships that you and I go through. It, it, he doesn't just understand the hardships of what a human goes through because he's all-knowing. Yes, he is. But he understands it because he experienced it himself. Are you financially struggling, like Melissa and I were, or maybe even worse off? Jesus knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to lack. We just see in the, the previous passage, we see Jesus says to a, a, um, to a scribe who says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, really checking his attitude or understanding whether or not he understands what he's saying, says to him, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no way to lay his head. I don't have a home, says Jesus. "Is still want to come follow me? That His earthly ministry consisted of him preaching on borrowed boats, He rode in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a borrowed colt and donkey. He was buried, not in his own tomb, but in a borrowed tomb. Jesus lacked. He didn't have much. He gets what you're going through if you're struggling financially. Do you feel alone and needy because the people that are meant to love you just don't love you? Oh man, Jesus gets that. He's the creator of the world. He created all people. And yet when he arrived on earth, all people rejected him. His very own people, the Israelites, who he called his people, who he had looked after for centuries on, uh, upon centuries. When they, he arrives as the Messiah, they don't recognize him, but they reject him. And when he's able to get some followers, which consisted of tax collectors, sinners, and fishermen, out of those 12, one would betray him and sentence him to death. The other 11 would abandon him in his darkest hour as he is going off to be falsely accused in a trial and be murdered. Jesus understands what it feels like to be lonely and needy when everyone, those who are meant to love you don't. Do you feel misrepresented, slandered, gossiped about, persecuted? Jesus gets that. Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton. He was called a madman. He was called a friend of sinners, a Samaritan, and he was called a devil. At his trial, when he was uh, to be falsely, uh, he was gonna go get murdered, People stood up and falsely accused him of things he had not said and not done, just so that he might be crucified. Jesus gets it. He understands what it's like to be falsely um, misrepresented. Jesus uh, also was tempted like you and I are. And you feel like, Joe, I've got temptations on my plate that are too tough for me to handle. Jesus gets it. He had Satan to tempt him himself. Jesus no knows what it's like to be tempted. And when I was preparing this though, I thought, well, maybe there's a couple of things that Jesus doesn't quite get. If Jesus was tempted, he was like us in every aspect, but yet he had not sinned, then maybe Jesus doesn't quite understand what it's like to have the burden and guilt and the shame of sin. Man, I've I've messed up a couple of loads of times in my life, and the guilt and the shame is hard to bear, right? Maybe Jesus doesn't get that. But then I was reminded again of a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 21. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And then I was reminded again that Jesus does understand what the the weight of sin and shame was. Because when he died for us on the cross, he took the weight of everyone's sin and shame upon his shoulders. That he took the shame and the sin of a prostitute upon his shoulders. The shame and the sin of a murderer, the shame and the sin of a thief, of an adulterer, of a person who abuses their children and neglects them. You name it, Jesus took it upon his shoulders and he went from being perfect to all of a sudden bearing all the sin and shame. And and we have to be honest here, we've become desensitized to sin. And yet our own sin at times can be so much weight for us to bear that we just can't handle it. And that is just one. And Jesus went from perfect to taking the sins of the world and the shame of the world upon his shoulders. Does Jesus get shame and sin? Yeah, he does. But you might even say to me this morning, but Joey, my sin, my shame is unique. Man, you don't get what I am feeling at this moment. And you're right, I don't. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus' death is that he didn't just take in general the sins of the world, but he particularly took yours. Your sin, your shame became his own. And so does he get what you're feeling? Yes, because there was a time when he took it upon himself and it became his himself. And he gets your hurt, he gets your pain, he gets the struggle that comes with that. And this is so important for us to understand that Jesus was like us in every respect. We see this in Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. It says, therefore he... Jesus had to become like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make perpetuation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, the writer of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16. He says, "'For we do not have a high priest "'who is unable to sympathize with our weakness.'" But one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here comes the command as a result of all of this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh man, we've got an awesome God. This Jesus who understands and who's able to sympathize with us and able to get what hardships life has. This is the Jesus that we have. And if we get to know this Jesus, if we fix our eyes on this Jesus, our faith is firmed up. Our faith is stirred because he gets what we're going through. But at the end of the day, it means absolutely nothing if Jesus is not God. Because it would be great that he gets what we're going through, but if he is not God, then he is unable to do anything about it. But the fact that he is God makes us so much greater, makes the fact that his humanity is so much greater as a result because he is able to do something about it. And we see this in the story. He's in his human state, able to say, peace be still, and the winds stand still instantly. The waves that are high and up try to get as flat as they possibly can because the creator has spoken. And we see in John um, 1 Verses, uh, John 1 verse 3, it says this about Jesus. It talks about the power of Jesus, He's creator. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was, was made that has been made. Jehovah's Witnesses will te- teach you that Jesus was first created, and then he created everything else. But I don't know how you can get that when you read this passage. Let's read again. Through him, all things were made. Nothing, without him, nothing was made. What? Nothing, that includes you, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus has always been, and he always will be. He is the creator. When he spoke, things came into being. When he said, let there be light, there was light. When he commanded, things existed. That is power of our God. We see in, in Colossians 1 verse 17, it says that all things he holds together that he holds everything together. The moon, the stars, the solar system, as they rotate, as they move, he holds it and makes it put in place. The seasons change because he has allowed it to. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall because our God has the power to do so, and he allows that to happen. And we see in his earthly ministry that he had the ability to heal that he had the ability to uh, make the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. This is the power of our God. And if we take this into perspective, when we look at this Jesus, when we understand that this is our Jesus, the one who's able to sympathize with us, but also the one who's able to do it all, our faith is stirred up. Our faith becomes firm because he is able, church. And when we seek Jesus in the midst of storms, when we seek him more and we get to know him more, I can guarantee that Jesus, the Jesus that you find, is far more wonderful than the Jesus you initially had. It's far more great than you initially thought. That there will be plenty of times in your life where you will stand back and go, Man, this is this really the God I serve? he could do that because we get to know him more and more and more and more. Faith urgently needs to know, not so much, what action Jesus will take, what promise he made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who this Jesus is. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna close off. Um, We'll be up front here if you want any prayer. Some of you might be going, Joe, I'm going through some tough times, man. If you're wanting to pray, we can come and we can pray for you. Um, maybe you're going, I don't know this Jesus at all and I would like to get to know him. To cross that line of faith, we're here as well to, to be able to do that. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, we are just so thankful for the great and awesome God that you are. we thankful, Lord, that we have this wonderful privilege of being able to get to know you. That you're a God who, understands the hardships that we have gone through and you you did that all for us because you loved us greatly. But also, Lord, that you're God who's able to do stuff. You're able to do things. When you speak, things happen. And so, Lord, we come before you humbly this morning and we pray that you would reveal yourself more and more to us. Lord, we go through storms of life and we just ask that through those storms that we would just get to know this Jesus more and more. That, Lord, those who are hurting, that they would know you as their comforter. Those who are struggling with sin, they would know you as as your savior and advocate. That, Lord, those who are needing direction in life, that you would be their guide. Those who need provision, Lord, that you would be their provider. Those who need protection, Lord, that you would be their protector. We pray, Lord, that we would know you more and more and more. Would you be gracious and merciful to us, I pray. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name, amen.